Howdy, everybody. Welcome to the Granger Smith Podcast. Happy Monday. Thank you for being with me. I love this platform. I love the opportunity to literally sit in your living room and have a conversation with you or sit in your car if that's where you like to listen to podcasts. This is really fun for me, and I enjoy this process. I am grateful to have this podcast sponsored today by My Bookie. Winning season returns at My Bookie. Winning season means doubling your bets on your first deposit. Winning season means insane player props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross sports wagers. At My Bookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are starting where they left off, and the NFL has officially returned it in a big way. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes week in and week out, and hopefully seeing the Cowboys win, which usually doesn't happen. Get in on the action. Use promo code GRANGER and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use promo code GRANGER and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. I am answering questions on this podcast, reacting to your email. So last podcast, episode 49, I set up an email called GrangerSmithPodcast at gmail.com. I asked you to reach out to me with anything you want, anything you want me to talk about. And so they flooded in. So first of all, thank you so much for sending those emails. I went through all of them. Uh, I'm, I obviously can't answer all of them, but I went through and grabbed the ones that I need to answer right now. And if, if you have a question that I don't answer on this episode, just ask again. Or if you have a new question or if you're a new listener and you want to ask me anything that you want me to answer longer than like a radio blip or an Instagram blip, you know, you want me to long form answer and give you my best um, explanation that I can, whether that's about my life or love or country music or uh, religion or sports or whatever you want to talk about. I'm here. I'm here for you. So email GrangerSmithPodcast at gmail.com. I'll get to yours. And right now, I'm so happy to see um, some really good questions. And I'm excited. Welcome to the Granger Smith Podcast. Yee yee. personal way to get a hold of me, go to cameo.com and you could search Granger Smith. You could find me on there. And that is a, it's a fun thing I've been doing for about a year. I've been going on and I could, I could send you a personal video message, whether that's a congratulations or happy birthday or a 
maybe you want me to speak to some kind of piece of advice or um, even give a shout out to uh, maybe a new business that you're starting. Cameo.com allows you to do that. You can go on and book me to send you a personal video message. Um, I love that, especially during this the crazy time of 2020. That's I don't get to do meet and greets. And so this is a great way for me to keep in contact with you, as is this podcast. What a fun week this is. This is um, album release week for me. So the biggest week for an artist is right now for me. Because this Friday, if you're listening real time, uh, this coming Friday, we are releasing our album September 25th called Country Things Volume 1. Eight songs on there, including three that you already know. That's why I love Dirt Roads. Country Things, the title track, and Hate You Like I Love You, which we released those last two a few weeks ago. So you're going to get the rest of that volume one, and then you're going to get volume two coming around Thanksgiving um, for you non-Americans. That's the end of November. I'm excited about all 16 songs that complete this whole project. So let me know what you think. I'm I'm pumped to hear uh, what you guys think on something that I've been working on for two years. My tenth studio album. Um, a lot of a lot of thought, a lot of blood, sweat, tears. Literally, a lot of editing, a lot of songwriting, a lot of um, recording, um, a lot of picking art, a lot of planning for this release uh, has gone into this, and so. A little bit nervous. I'm a little bit excited. Um, but but most of all, I just want to see if it connects with you guys. I want to see if these stories connect because that's what I look for as a, as a country music artist is telling a story through my eyes, through music, and then having someone out there go, man, those lyrics sound like me. That sounds like what I'm going through. Or that sounds like my life. Or that sounds like where I used to be. Or that sounds like where I want to be. Uh, any of those kind of connections is how me as an artist really get that relationship with a fan so that when we go play live shows, it's like you're the only one in the room. It's me and the band playing to one person that's connecting with those lyrics at a very deep level. And I can never ask anything more than that as a singer. So really big week. If you can help me out and check out this album on that's coming out Friday. Um, it, Maybe pre-save it, maybe pre-order it. Those things really help the numbers of this album so that it puts it in a higher algorithm and that all the music platforms, wherever you like to listen to music, they get together and they go, oh, wow, that Granger album is getting a lot of looks, a lot of pre-saves, so let's bump it up so maybe more people will see it. So that's ultimately what helps me, but um, I just hope you like it. Answering, I'm going to go through some of these emails and react to them. Um, I've only read through them briefly one time. So as I usually do on this podcast, there is no preparation. There is no notes that I've taken. And I think that some of the questions could be answered better if I had notes um, or if I had references. But I think at the same time, it helps keep this program pretty raw and off the cuff as if, like I said in the intro, we're sitting in the same room or sitting in the same truck riding together and having a conversation. First email comes from Jordan. Oh, that that brings up a point. Um, I could say your name on here. I could say your first name. So if you send me an email and you don't want me to say your name, just say, say you want to remain anonymous. But I would like 
to also know your hometown. So for instance, Jordan, I have, I don't know where you are, but uh, it would be cool if you would put your hometown and your first name or anonymous, but I would love to be able to read that as part of the question. Jordan says, uh, I want to ask you, I wanted to ask you this question a week ago, but I didn't get to in time. What do you remember about 9-11 and did that make any kind of impact on your life? And I thought that was interesting because I remember exactly where I was um, during that, that morning of 9-11. I was living in Nashville, Tennessee. I was writing songs and I was on my way to a writing appointment. Or I, was, I hadn't left the house yet, but I was going to a writing appointment with two legendary songwriters, Aaron Barker and Roy Burke, and they had never met each other. And I had written individually with those two guys a lot, and I was bringing them together. And it just felt like what a really cool moment to bring these two epic, legendary songwriters together that had all these hits collectively. And I would be, you know, like a fly on the wall, just connecting them. And hopefully we could write a song. That was the morning of September 11th, 2001 for me. Um, I was just a kid and I walked into the living room and my roommate was watching TV and, and the first plane had hit the tower. And he was like, you seeing this? And that was back before we just knew what was happening on social media. You actually learn things from TV. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, my first thought was what a terrible accident. This plane got off course somehow, something malfunctioned in the navigation system and they hit a skyscraper. That's what I thought. And, and then as we were watching and people were commentating and speculating on what it, what this might be. That's when the second plane hit and the second plane, everyone had a lot of lead time on it. So you could actually see it from a distance. You could see that it was on a collision course and it was like slow motion, really. I mean, here comes this big, this big jetliner heading for a massive skyscraper right next to another skyscraper that's burning um, so as it impacted, that's, that's like right when it impacted the world knew that it wasn't an accident. This was on purpose, whatever the motive, it was on purpose. And then there was a whole different reaction when the first tower fell, because I just thought maybe a lot of people thought, oh man, that really sucks for that top of that building. Like they're going to have to remodel the whole top of that building. And I still hadn't put together that this could possibly fall down all the way. I could completely crumble. So when the first one fell and then everyone started thinking the second one was, was going to fall, it was just um, very surreal. I wasn't alive, obviously, during JFK or any of the, any of the other past monumental um, American moments like that. Um, and, and so that is my, that's my JFK moment. If you, a lot of y'all's parents or grandparents probably could remember where they were when JFK was assassinated. And that was me for nine 11, watching that in just complete disbelief. Um, very surreal. I remember thinking at that moment. So to help uh, answer the Jordan's question, I remember thinking, oh man, I got to go enlist. Like I got to go fight. Like this is, this is a calling now I'm, I'm called to go and join and, and help in some way. 
And I really had to kind of overcome that urge and redirect that feeling of let's leave everything right now. Let's leave music and let's go fight. I had to kind of redirect that and say, hang on. I have a, I also have an opportunity to use what I'm called to do. I felt a calling to play music. I could use that calling to help towards this cause. And so I made it a mission from that day, September 11th, 2001, to use my music to help with the cause. And it led me to my first entertainment tour in Iraq in 2007. So six years later, there I was on the stage in Iraq with my band playing a concert um, that really started from the motivation of what I saw on, on TV in 9-11. Question from Ian says, Hey Granger, I'm a fan from Canada. You're absolutely my favorite artist. Listen to Silverado Bench Seat and I've been hooked ever since. Anyway, my question is, how do you stay so faithful and how do you have such a great attitude even in the worst of times? Is there something specific you do or is it a mindset you need to get into? Ian, um, speaking to how do you stay so faithful and have such great attitude even in the worst of times? The short answer is I don't. I don't stay faithful in have a great attitude in the worst of times. And let me be clear that if I appear to, then that is either me being in shock or that is me ha having thought through the situation enough to then go onto social media or onto camera of some sort and deliver a message of, uh, Hope in the hindsight of what was behind me, the the worst of times, as your email says. But in in the peak of a worst time, man, I don't have a good attitude. And it's a battle of faith. You know, it's a battle of getting everything I believe, the rock-solid beliefs I have together and organize them so that I could overcome the urge to have a bad attitude and a lack of faith. I cannot answer that question with not, without mentioning um, that my rock-solid faith comes through my relationship with Jesus Christ and my, my Christian faith. Uh, and that, in a nutshell, Ian, answered, I could answer your question right there. I could just say, Jesus. I could answer it in one word. Because in the worst of times, I am not, as a man, capable of relinquishing that feeling or extinguishing that flame. I'm not capable of that. And I, it has taken me a long time to realize, to understand that there are certain things I can't fix. I can't fix the worst of time situation within me in real time as it's going down. Um, I'm not a superhero. And the reality of that is no one can. No one could fix that or extinguish that fire 
alone as a human because we are inherently flawed as humans. And it's taken me a lot of years, like I said, to unpack that mindset. Uh, but, but when I'm completely broken, I, I have to go, there is a God and I'm not him. And I can't fix this without his help. I can't, I can't find the next breath or the next moment without his help. Um, I can't, I can't move on or I can't, uh, find a new course without him. And then the next step for me is if I, if I am so broken and humble in that situation to God, then I need to also be that way during the good times. I need to take that and not just be a servant of him when I'm broken, but also be so grateful in the good times, which a good, good time could just be a normal day, you know, like a normal day when things is not, the things aren't going wrong. Your mom isn't calling you saying dad died. You know, you, you, you're, you're not getting in a, in a car accident on the way to work and taking your truck to get fixed and get a bill that you literally is that bill is more than you have in your bank account. Those, those days are, are extraordinary and it takes God to pull you out of them. But I'm trying my hardest to seek him during the normal days, during the good days, uh, not just in the bad ones. Nicholas, he says, I'm trying to make a name for myself in country music. And he says, hi, my name is Nicholas Taylor. How are you doing? Um, I'm working on becoming a country artist by 2020 to 2021. I'm 19 from Chicago, Illinois. I'm a very creative person and I play music. Music is a very important thing to me, especially when it comes to my mental health um, I was born on the autism spectrum with uh, hearing loss and ADD. Music has helped me wind down and stimulated me whenever I became too hyper or had sensor, sensory overload. I also have anxiety and it shows up whenever I'm writing a song. Uh, where do you stand with mental health, and especially as a musician? And what advice would you offer to an upcoming aspiring artist like myself and others? And what, what worries me, there's a couple of things that worry me about this question, Nicholas. One is how you say, I also have an anxiety and it shows up whenever I am writing a song. Hmm. And, and uh, let me say the second thing that bothers me. The second thing that bothers me is says, you said, I am working on becoming a country artist by 2020 to 2021. Hmm. Well, how, where do I begin? You, you, first of all, you are a country artist. You don't have to become one. You are one because you obviously play music and you write songs. So that's done. You are Nicholas, a country artist officially. I'm, I'm, I'm ordaining you <laughs> a country artist. Um, so that you don't have to put a deadline on when you're going to become it because you, what you are saying is you want to have some kind of notoriety or you want to be heard by a mass of people by that time, or you want to have some tangible form of success in the business to hang on your wall. 
And that is not a good reason to go through the anxiety of writing a song. I understand having anxiety in writing a song, um, but that anxiety for me comes with or comes from the pressure of trying to write a good song for success of some kind. And at the beginning of, of a career, it needs to be much more organic. It needs to be much more of a vent for you. It needs to be much more of a, more of a, a way of venting life, a way of writing in a diary in the form of a song to get some creative ideas out of you or to tell a story you wanted to release. Um, but you have to take the pressure away from trying to write a good song for commercial uses at the beginning stages. It's, it's impossible for me to do that now. I love writing songs, and I'll write nine out of ten songs I love. One out of ten songs, I feel the pressure like, oh. But the pressure comes when I think, this is good. Oh, this is good. Don't screw this up. Granger, don't mess. You had a good idea, and you're blowing it. You know, that's what goes on in my head. So, buddy, um, don't put a time on this. Take away the 2020 to 2020. Take, take that away. Because if you're a country artist, which you are, you, need, you will be till you die. You'll be a country artist forever. So use it as a way to vent, a way to express yourself, your, express your creativity, and, and realize that if one person likes it, awesome. If nobody likes it, fine. That's not, that's not a necessity. You are doing this because you're getting art out of you into the world, regardless of the reaction. Look at it from that mindset. Start again and look at it in that mindset, knowing that it might take you 30 years for anyone to finally hear your music. And when they do finally hear your music, it won't matter because you've already built up that confidence inside you and you've built a mindset of writing songs for you is a release, not anxiety. Here's a question from Abby Martin. And she says, I listened to your podcast on Monday mornings talking about your relationship with Amber. And I'm curious what the inspiration behind the journal you wrote for her before you knew her was. Such an awesome idea. Love all your channels. Such an incredible family to watch. Thank you, Abby. So Abby's talking about um, a little piece of obscure information that she heard at one point me talk about. Uh, I gave Amber a gift the night before our wedding. And that gift was a journal that I had written to her about her without knowing her. And that came about after many failed relationships with me. And I would get, you know, I'd have a girlfriend and, you know, you would think you love her and you, a couple of years would go by or whatever. And, and then it would fail. Either we would just get in too many fights and not have to call it off or, um, we would fall out of love, um, for whatever reason, a million reasons. And it, at the last time before Amber, I decided to pull back on like the dating game and pull back on getting infatuated by a girl. It didn't matter anymore. I was done with that. And so I thought, you know what, whoever my future wife is, 
She's out there somewhere right now. She's living her life. What is she doing? What does she look like? She's out there somewhere doing something, living her life. Maybe she's in a relationship now. Maybe she's working a job. Maybe she's, maybe she's sitting at home thinking about me, you know, the, the future version of me, whatever. That mentality took me to um, the idea that, well, I should start writing her a letter because she's out there. I knew she was out there. I just didn't know who she was or where she was. So I just started writing a letter to a, to a girl that I didn't know yet and told her all about myself and um, what I'd gone through and, and how excited I was to finally meet her and what, what, a, what, a, what a feeling that would be when, we, when I knew and she knew and we were going to get married. And so I wrote, you know, several pages of this and that was a great way to kind of calm myself a little bit in the craziness of single life, you know, when you just kind of feel like, man, I'm never going to meet anybody there's no more good girls out there. Or maybe I'll just be single. I'll just be single, you know, like to calm all those weird feelings. I just, I would go home on a weird night and I would pull out that spiral notebook and would start writing to this anonymous girl. And, um, then I met Amber and I gave her that, that journal. So that's where that came from. By the way, that's, I would recommend that for single dudes out there. Um, single girls, Hey, single girls do it, write a journal. It, it's, uh, there's a lot of healing in that. I will say too that, I, that then Amber and I continue that together. Then we started writing our separate journals to our unborn children which we did. Question comes from Tyler. It says, what size lift, wheels, tires, and offset do you have on your truck? I love the truck, and I'm looking for a similar setup. Yeah, man. Um, I, I have a 2008 Silverado Z71 half-ton. It has a... Over the course of many years, I did this stuff to it, but... Um, it has a, uh, I believe it's a four inch body lift and a three inch pro comp suspension lift. It might be, I can't remember if it's vice versa, if it's a four inch pro comp suspension and a three inch body, I think that's what it is. Totally totaling seven inches. Um, I have 35 inch tires that are BF Goodrich mud terrain which I love. I have a great relationship with BF Kudrinch. Um And I have Pro Comp wheels as well. And those have lasted me forever. So I really like them. I've had them forever. They don't go out of style. They're all blacked out. I've had them forever. I have a special plan for this truck that um, I'll be revealing too. So little nugget, little piece of podcast nugget that if some of you hear that and find it, it's a little gold nugget I'm giving you, but I'm going to do something very special with this truck this year, 2020. Uh, I was going to read this, but I've, I'm going to I'm going to reset these cameras. Take a quick break. Be right back. This podcast is also brought to you by Raycon earbuds. Man, what an awesome set of earbuds. If I can keep them without Amber stealing them from me, um, this is a great way to listen to music, whether you're working out or working on your fitness or whatever you're listening to. 
you're not wanting to listen to your roommate in the other room or your neighbors or your significant other, your children running around, your dog bark. You don't want to listen to any of that stuff. You want to have an isolating sound that you could listen to the Granger Smith podcast on without these kind of interruptions. And that's what Raycon does for you. You already know Raycon, they start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbud on the market. And they sound just as amazing as any other of the top audio brands that you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds are the best ones yet. They've got six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable. They're perfect for conference calls or listening to the the Granger Smith podcast, because I know that's the, your favorite podcast in the whole world. And unlike some of the other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish, discreet. They're really little black buds. They're really cool. And they don't have dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during your your uh, COVID video calls that you, everyone has to do. The company was founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg and J.R. Smith and Mike Tyson. Uh, they all use them. So now is the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Granger. That's buyraycon.com slash Granger for 15% off wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Granger. Charles sends a question in. It says, how important is it to keep busy while dealing with grief? I guess what I'm trying to say is how do you find the balance between surrounding yourself with loved ones and trying to keep busy enough to get your mind off of it? Uh, this is something I struggled with when I lost my father at a young age. In a sense, I felt lost. Um, Charles, first, first thing I'll say is everyone deals with grief differently. Not only does everybody deal with grief differently, but everybody deals with different loss differently. Like I, when I lost my dad, um, that was, I, I dealt with that a certain way. When I lost my son, I dealt with that a certain way that was different than when I lost my dad. I don't know why. I don't know why people are different. I don't know why loss feels different. It just does. And knowing that everyone's different, uh, that every loss is different, that you can't compare losses, you can't compare hurt with, with one another. Um, knowing that helps, helps the understanding a little bit. And people have come up to me many times and said things like, I know it's nothing compared to your loss, but I lost my grandmother and I'm really hurting. And I, I like to always stop him right there and say, hey, you got to stop. You can't compare yourself to me. Stop. Like, take that sentence away. I know it doesn't compare to you. Take the sentence away. Because I don't know about your relationship with your grandma. I don't know about that. Only you do. Only that is, that, that is your loss. And they say that you could, you could judge a loss by how much love was there. So you're, you're, the love equals the loss. Unfortunately, the more you love, the more the loss hurts, right? The more the grief. And uh, that, that's, uh, that is the terrible thing about being human. You love too much, you're going to grieve a lot. You don't love anybody, hey, you're probably not going to grieve. But guess what? You also didn't love anybody. And that's where the joy comes from. 
That's where that's what makes life worth living is having full love for other humans. Like that's that's what makes that's what makes it worth living. So if you try to minimize that love to try to offset the grief, I don't work that way. Y'all heard Garth Brooks the dance. Like it just it, you you could miss the pain, but you'd had to have missed the dance. Like no one wants to miss the dance, right? So I could tell you how I tried to balance, but that would just be me. And you, inevitably, Charles, are different than me. Um, with dad, when I lost my dad, I re-engaging into life is hard no matter what, no matter what kind of grief. It's hard to get back to a, a job. It's really hard to get back into a hobby because you feel a guilt that if you are going back to work or going back and going back and fishing in the lake or, or playing golf, whatever hobby you throw in there, there's a mindset that, man, I'm going to work, I guess. I guess I'm just moving on from dad. I guess I'm just, uh, I guess it's not a big deal anymore because now I've been off work for two weeks because of the funeral and being, trying to give time to mom and try and dealing with my own, uh, misunderstanding of, of losing dad. I've been off for two weeks. Now I'm going back to work. So I guess that's like the start of forgetting dad. And that's a lie. That's a lie. That guilt is a lie. Um, because first of all, you got to go back to work sometime and, it's it's funny that if you think of it in perspective of what your dad would think, of course your dad wants you to go back to work. Of course your dad wants you to go and do the things that that he loved to do together with you, like maybe it's fishing or hunting or whatever. Maybe he loved to do those things with you. So he only would want you to go and do those things again and think about him, right? So you got to re-engage. And you're right in thinking that there's a balance of keeping yourself busy enough to get it off your mind. And a lot of people might tell you that you don't want to, you don't want to kick the can down the road, kick your grief down the road and deal with it later by distracting yourself so much that you're just completely forgetting the real world that you're living in. So yes, you got to go to work. Yeah. You got to, you got to re-engage in life, but, um, you carry it with you. And when you first carry that loss with you, it's really heavy. It's super heavy baggage. And it feels like you're just, you're barely moving. Like you just cannot function in life. But then that weight gets lighter and lighter and lighter. That guilt gets lighter and lighter. But your memory and your love for your dad doesn't get lighter. So here I am. I'm seven years down the road from losing my dad. And I don't love him any less. And most, maybe even more important than that to my own sanity, I haven't forgotten him any more than I did when he was alive. And that was my fear. I remember at like day one, I remember driving down the road and seeing cars and everyone scurrying about living their lives. And I thought, man, none of these people know my dad even died. They're just living their life. And there's a strange feeling to that. And then I thought, man, by tomorrow, I'm going to have forgotten him 1%. And by Friday, I will will have forgotten him 3 more percent. 
And then by 10 years, he'll just, I won't even remember him. And that's a lie. It's a lie. You'll carry it with, I had people tell me for a long time that that is a lie. My grandmother, who's 94, who has outlived all of her siblings, obviously her parents, two husbands and a son, and every friend she's ever had growing up, every one of them, she's outlived them all. And to this day, when I ask her about her mother or her father, I think her dad died in like 73. And she still gets choked up talking about her dad who died in 1973. That woman has not forgotten anything about her dad or the love she had or what a wonderful man he was. And that is true hope to see a 94-year-old woman so in love with, with being a daughter of her father that it has not left her at all. So there's so much hope that you'll go all the way, Charles, to your deathbed with your dad so close to you in your heart. And, and what I find with me is it's, it's crazy that sometimes now I'll say a joke or I'll laugh a certain way and I'll, this thought comes in my, my mind and says, that was dad. Like dad would have said that joke. That's, those are his words. Or that laugh sounded just like dad. And then I remember that he's a part of me. Like, not only through DNA, but through just the imprinted memory, Dad's a part of me, and I'll carry him him with me till the day I die. Jessica, your question is, what is your favorite song to sing? I'm dying to know what song gets you the most pumped. Jessica, that's... Usually, that means the song that people go crazy with because that gets me the most pumped and it's it's a lot of times the first song of the night is really high energy walking on that stage for the first time and whatever that song might be currently it's the song holler whatever that song might be um i just get i get really jazzed up for that song um and then the country boy song which we still play the very end of our show earl dibbles jr the country boy song and i you know come out on the stage, Earl comes out and there's, it's always the end of the night. The crowd is really crazy and and fun and like the job's over, you know, like we did, maybe we added some new songs in the middle of the set and that took a little bit of work, took a little bit of brain power. And by the end, it's like, we're in cruise control. We're just having fun and performing. And I love that about our last song of the night. So to answer your question, Jessica, I would say the country boy song. Question, question from Chris, who uh, puts the title Boomer Sooner to the end of his note here, but it says, I've been a fan since I first saw you at Jake Jam in 2017 in Shawnee, Oklahoma. My daughter and I showed up early and were front row, and I'll never forget it. I was instantly hooked on your music and podcast since then. We enjoy getting the meet and greets and every time we get to see you. I'll be 46 in October. And my daughter is 18. Thank you for being so genuine every time I see you. I remember seeing you at Frontier City in June 2019, less than a week before River's accident. And that brings me to my question. Do you ever think you'll go back to one-on-one meet and greets again? Yeah, buddy. First of all, um, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. And thank you for being a fan of the music and the podcast. Um, 
truly, I'm grateful for guys like you. And I hope that you know that it's people like you that um, make me want to keep doing it. Uh, to see that passion that now you've passed on to your daughter. I absolutely love that you guys get to share that together. And man, the, the short answer to this question is yes. We'll absolutely get back to one-on-one meet and greets. Um, that was a big, really big part of my life and my show and my tour for many, many years. And it was after Riv, I did stop meet and greets. But that's not why I'm not doing them now. Now is because of COVID. So I did start meet and greets again at some point. I think it was December of last year. And then, in, you know, the whole COVID thing, these venues are not allowing anyone backstage. And they're not allowing fans to meet artists. For obvious reasons. Like, it's not, there's, that's, no, that's a no-brainer. And I know you, you understand that. Uh, but I did play, we played Billy Bob's in Fort Worth, Texas last weekend. And I, the club owner was saying, you know, I don't, I just don't see artists ever going back to meet and greets, especially after they get used to not having a meet and greet. I don't see artists ever going back with all, you know, all the diseases that people carry on their hands. Man, I get, it. I get it, but there's no way I'm ever going to give up on meet and greets. That's just, that's a big part of what I do is getting the pulse of the fans on the ground at the show an hour before I go out and perform to them. So I'll meet guys like you, Chris and your daughter, and you might tell me of a song that you love or a song that means a lot to you and your daughter, or you might tell me a story of some kind, and then I can go out and perform that song. Or I could, at the very least, I could think about it. And I, I really do think about those meet and greets during the show there's been a, so many times, unfortunately, that people have come to meet and greets to tell me if someone, a loved one that they lost that was a fan, that now the family is coming to celebrate that lost person's life at his favorite band's concert. And when they tell me that, when a, when a mother comes and tells me that they lost their son to, say, a car accident, and he was a big fan of Yee Yee, and they're coming because it's his birthday or because it's a year since the anniversary of his death. And then I'll, I will always ask that mother, what's his name or what's her name? And then I will think about that name during the deeper moments of my show, because that makes my songs real. It makes them, it makes them come to life. And it's not just three minutes in a melody. It's, it's a story that's connecting with someone that's out there. And sometimes I'll make eye contact with that family. And it is a deep, deep moment when I make eye contact with that mother as an example. And I'm thinking about her son and she knows I'm thinking about her son and I kind of give her the thumbs up. And that's, man, that's, that's a moment. And it's, I will never get away from that. Chris, we'll go back as soon as we can. This question comes from Mike, and he says, As a bivocational pastor, I'm always struck with balancing how I behave, talk, and think in my secular leadership role. Sometimes the tension is difficult. How do you deal with that same tension between your faith and your alter ego? Earl Dibbles Jr., love your music, love your music, love your faith, and love your family's transparency. God bless. Mike. Mike, um, it's funny. You specifically call out Earl Dibbles, and um, 
as a, as an associate pastor, you're probably thinking, how does Earl, how does Granger, um, come across as try to be this, uh, transparent human being, um, that maintains a Christian faith. And yet he has this alter ego that, um, raises hell <laughs> pretty much, you know, and it's a good question. It's the reason I'm reading it because maybe by, uh, trying to answer your question, um, I could talk myself through the exact tension that you're correct in assuming that I have. And I'll start with this. Um, I've learned Earl is, is, um, nine years old and I have learned that although Earl, at the very beginning of his creation, he started as a basically uh, a, a wing and a prayer, a hoped viral video that would help promote an album. That's what my brothers and I were doing. We were making funny videos. Earl was a uh, just an idea that that I, it was a voice that I had, a funny country boy voice. And my brother Tyler was like, hey, we got to film that country guy and put him on YouTube. And so put on the overalls from high school, these old overalls and a white tank top and my old boots and my dad's trucker cap. We drew on some tattoos, which if you're watching on YouTube, I still have a little bit of a tattoo on from Earl that we filmed earlier today with uh, college football picks for CBS. <laughs> but I always have remnants of Earl tattoos on me. Um, from the very beginning, even though we didn't know that it would go viral, we wanted to maintain a certain level of integrity with Earl. And some of you might be thinking, what? Earl has integrity? Yes. So Earl, first of all, um, he has one enemy, and that's the city boy. But he, he, in a very loving way, he just kind of blankets his own misunderstanding of what the city is and people that live in the city. And he kind of just throws it all into this, this blanket misunderstanding. And Earl's vulnerability of that misunderstanding, I think, in my opinion, is what made him so popular. Was him being able to misunderstand the world so much that... It was okay to laugh at himself. It was okay to be vulnerable. It was okay for him to be confused at not understanding why he was so angry at something that was just a little bit different lifestyle than what he lived. And I learned this kind of mentality from different people in my life. You know, there's a lot of real life Earls all around me. And there's a lot of me in Earl too. And I, I, always felt that that vulnerability and that, that foundational level of integrity with Earl was important to never break, to never personally call out a specific group of people. And if you notice from the very beginning of Earl, like for instance, Earl never even says that he's from the South. Earl is a country boy and he embraces worldwide country boys even the ones that live in the city. So Earl is the first to say that uh, country is in your heart, not in your closet. So you, he, 
He never categorizes people or puts people in a box or puts uh, or stereotypes um, geography in any way. Earl is just a little bit confused on city versus country. And it's as simple as that. So when we move forward and Earl has evolved over the last nine years, I have learned that Earl is an icebreaker for many conversations. In fact, there's an argument, Mike, that if it wasn't for Earl, now this is, this is going to blow your mind. If it wasn't for Earl, good argument, you would not even know who I was. If it wasn't for Earl, you wouldn't have found my music, you wouldn't have found this podcast, and you wouldn't have had it put on your heart to ask me if I feel tension um, between my spiritual relationship with Christ and exploiting Earl Dibbles as a party icon, right? And I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but, but isn't that interesting that, and I've learned this through many different ways that Earl is, is an icebreaker that will lead you to me. So I make Earl vulnerable and viral and, uh, very, very over the top to open people's eyes to go, what is that? Is that guy real? Like, is he really, is that guy really talk like that? Who is that? Is that, or if you're in concert and you see him run out, like, what is this guy? Is this guy real? So then if you really are interested, you go a step further and you find me. And then I've put myself out there, um, as honest as I possibly can and as vulnerable as I possibly can. So that's, that's the first really interesting thing about Earl. I've also learned over the years with Earl is that not only is he a, an icebreaker, but Earl is quicker to make someone smile than I am personally. And the smile leads someone to open themselves up to a deeper song by me. So I have a song called Heavenbound Balloons. It's it's a it's a deeper song. I have a, many of them. I have a song called Five More Minutes. I have a song called Bear Me in Blue Jeans. I have a song called Tractor. These are songs that are very close to me and my family. And Earl, the contrast, the dynamic contrast of Earl's extremism, I believe opens people up to listening to the other side of the dynamic because you can't have all Earl, like a concert of all Earl or a, or a YouTube page with all Earl, nothing but Earl all the time. Earl, I think would get old and people would eventually tune out and they would get numb to it. So this all happened by, by, I don't believe in coincidences, but this is, this is the way it was supposed to happen for me, I believe. And, and what, what I'm going to do with it, um, that's left to, to be seen. But to break the ice with Earl and make people smile helps them listen to those deeper songs or listen to this podcast. Um, I mean, I can't see you, but raise your hand if you found this podcast because originally you found Earl a long time ago. And there's a handful of people that didn't. But a lot of times that's the case. So... I have learned that not only is it important to have a song that really moves somebody with some lyrics that really, really tie, dig deep and, and, and pull at their heartstrings, 
that's important, but it's just equally as important for someone to laugh, to smile, to forget for a moment the pain of humanity that they might be living in, in that moment that they hear the song or see the video or at the concert, standing there with their friends. And I'm an entertainer first. So that's, that's a important thing for me to remember that as an entertainer, my job is to make people smile. My job is to make people feel something. And a smile is, is a, is a great way to get there. And Earl helps me get there. All that being said, all that being said, Mike is, um, do, do at some level, I feel like I need to be careful with Earl exploiting, um, drinking beer, for instance, on stage, even though, uh, without, without getting drunk, there's technically nothing wrong with, with having a few beers with your buddies. So, uh, I do, I do, it does cross my mind and maybe even more so because I've got kids and they're watching me. So it does cross my mind that there is a, there is a boundary with him that he can't cross. Like you're never, ever going to see Earl drunk and that, that boundary is important. I also think it's important to continue uh, putting Earl out there and making him fun and making him create smiles and, and breaking the ice to a deeper conversation. I don't know if if you could relate that story to yours uh, because it's, it's very different. Um, but that's my story. And, and I really appreciate your question, Mike, and thank you for listening. Here's a question from Will. It says, Hey, big fan here, as most of us are. I had a question about the Silverado you drive. Hope you get it running again. <laughs> it broke down. Uh, but I love your truck. I currently drive one myself. Side note, I threw 33s on it in honor of Backroad Song. My question is, do you have a lift on yours or just a level kit? Which brand, which wheels? Perfect. Because I answered that earlier, and I'm glad I got the knockout out for you too, Will. Um, here's a question, that, and the only only person I have, the only way to know who this is is the email, and it's from Love Cows. So Love Cows says, how do you stay strong in the darkest time of your life? Um, and I feel like I've, I, I, I kind of went down that road as well. Um, and love cows, email me back and go deeper on this question. Instead of saying, how do you stay strong in the darkest time of your life? Give me a little more. Like, why are you, are you hinting that you're going through a dark time? Maybe I could help answer that question more directly. Um, yeah, help me out. Give me a little bit more. And, and Love Cows also says, will the shirt of the month club have long sleeves? Great question. I think we should. I think we should comment below if you think the shirt of the month should come in long sleeves at some point. I think that would be cool. Uh, Amanda, she has a question that says, one of your songs has the lyric, quarter Cherokee blood from my mom's half. That's country boy song with Earl Dibbles. Uh, I've always wondered, are you describing her? What, uh, who are you describing here? Or is it just lyrics? Are you a quarter Cherokee? says, also, is your Henderson, Nevada, October show still on? I'd love to come. I hope it won't be canceled. Um, I guess we never really know. Love you. Love you too, Amanda. Thank you for listening and writing in. Um, to address the concert, 
gosh, I don't know. I, I wish I could have that calendar in front of me. I do know that a lot of shows are coming in on, in October, and it's a great sign. We're seeing a lot of venues opening back up, um, limited capacity. Some of them are like 50%, some of them are a quarter, and some of them are even up to 75%. So um, I'm seeing a lot of more, a lot of shows come in. So cross your fingers. If it doesn't happen, we'll be back to Nevada really soon. I promise. We never skip Nevada. So, um, yeah, I would, I would hope so. And that goes for everyone listening, wherever you are, we will be back to your town. I promise you it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. Uh, Amanda, to go back to your question about the Cherokee, um, yes, Earl Dibble says quarter Cherokee blood from a mom's half which is a very strange math problem for a uh, country boy Earl to even comprehend. I don't even think I can comprehend that math problem. But the true story is similar to that, which is why I have Cherokee in here. Um, my, my grandmother's father, who would be my great-grandfather, was half Cherokee because his mother was full-blooded Cherokee. So... My great-grandfather was half. My So that makes, this is easy, my great-great-grandmother was full-blood Cherokee. Where does that leave Earl in this whole thing? I don't know. That's div- You guys could figure out the genealogy between me and Earl Dibbles, um, but I do not know. I'll read one more here from Barbara. It says, what is the criteria for choosing band members and touring members of your team? Uh, do you pick character qualities along with talent, ethical or moral qualities from Barbara in Illinois. She says, long time listener, first time caller. Love that. Thank you for listening, Barbara. Thank you for asking the question. And it's a good one. Uh, I, most everyone has been with me for many years. My bass player, uh, this week marks our 10 year anniversary together playing together and everyone else is around like nine, 10, seven. I think my newest guy is three years with the band. So, uh, he's, he's my front of house guy. That's the guy that mixes the front of the, the audio engineer that mixes what you hear in the crowd. He's been with, with me three years. So, um, there's a, there's, there's an extensive, background check that we do talking to past employers, past band members, past, uh, f- friends that especially if they, if we didn't trust that friend, or if we trust that band member, that's connected with them, we find those people, we reach out to them, but ultimately it comes down to taking them out for like 30 days or a weekend or two weeks. And We'll take them out for one weekend and you put them in the bus and you live with them for three days and you play a couple shows and you learn pretty quick what kind of person they are. You you learn their work ethic. You learn um, how they are technically at the job. And then if we hire you, we're going to ask you to be on a 30-day or 60. I know we've done 60 also. So say 60-day trial run. And that trial run is for that exact question that you're asking, because I feel like technically and talent wise, anyone can go out for a weekend and shine and they could work really hard. And so once you pass that test that, okay, they can do the job and they can do it really well. The 60 day trial run is all about who are you? 
Who are you? Like what, what kind of bad habits do you have? What kind of, uh, how, how late do you stay up on the bus and keep everyone else up? What happens if you have a a glass of wine? What happens if you're, you're on an early morning flight and we have to deal with you all day. If you got four hours of sleep, what kind of person are you then? Not just on your best day, but how are you on your worst day? How are you on a show that's difficult? Meaning, uh, weather is terrible or maybe it's really hot weather and we're working long hours, or maybe it's a long push from the trailer to the stage. How are you then? We could see that in 60 days. And there have been several times when we had to get rid of a guy that we hired, we got rid of him on his trial period, uh, because we realized either, man, we can't get along with this guy. He doesn't mesh very well with the group. Um, he has some demons that we now see coming out. But yeah, you're right to think that there is a moral and ethical criteria that you have to meet to be in our band because you represent us, you represent the brand. And when, when the drummer, for instance, goes out and, and gets in a bar fight, uh, it's not the drummer's name. It's going to come out. Granger Smith's drummer gets in bar fight and tears down building, you know, so that's my name. I have to look after. So I have to think about that kind of stuff. It's really important. And we usually can tell, and we usually, um, we squash that pretty quick. So I'm, I'm happy with the group that we have. I trust them all. No one's perfect. Everyone has flaws, including me, but, uh, this, it's a really good group that I trust. And I, I enjoy sharing the stage and, and the bus with, and I don't mind them, um, spreading my brand far and wide. Thank you for all these questions. If you have more, or if you have one and you're just listening, Granger Smith podcast at gmail.com. Shoot over that email. I will put it in the archive. If I don't get to it, ask it again. And, uh, and I, I will eventually. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Yee yee.